Well, good morning. Good to be back with you all again. Um, have you ever looked back, especially for some of you that are more seasoned in life, uh, looked back at younger days and thought, I am so glad I have matured? Uh, Facebook has this thing, and I don't post on Facebook hardly at all anymore, because they came up with this thing called memories, where you can look back and see what you posted on this day years ago. And I started looking at all mine, and I saw everything that I said, and I thought, you know what, I don't even care what I had to say. Why would somebody else care what I have to say as well? So I just stopped posting, but... And then I also went back through and started deleting vigorously all the dumb things that I said, thinking I was really smart, and instead it's just like, today I had pizza. Great stuff. But there was six years ago today, something I'm so glad I posted and I remembered. And I got photos for you because it was just such a, a wonderful time. Um, I decided to go mudding in a certain member's pond that I didn't fully realize uh, we didn't have permission to be in that pond until I finally met said Lyman. And, um, <laughs> and uh, you know, didn't know how our friendship was going to be from that moment on. But thankfully, he is a forgiving man. And then we had this great video of Jake Eddington doing a perfect 10 out of 10 belly buster in the pond. Because the thing is, is that um, myself and a member of our youth at that time decided it'd be fun to go mudding. And he was like, hey, you ever take your truck mudding? I was like, do I? No, but let's do it. And so he was like, I got this spot. So again, I thought permission granted. Um, so he said, I got this spot, it's flooded, we can go. And so we both go driving our trucks through one time. And then it's like, sweet, we did it. So we go driving our trucks through another time. And it was like, we got this four wheel drive too easy. Let's kick it in two. And so we both kick it in two and he goes and then I follow a little too close and he gets out, but I had to stop. And then I wasn't going again. And, and so I got stuck, and I mean, I was deep. We tried hooking a chain up to my truck, and I still have the beauty marks on my bumper where it folded my bumper out because we tried pulling that, and it didn't work. And so finally he had to go get a really big tractor, and that thing finally got me out. And I thought, man, that, that picture six years ago to the day is a perfect example of a lot of people's lives. Because the thing is, is that um, if you are human, which I believe we all are, we do this thing called sin. And we try not to, but we like to a lot of times dance with temptation. And so just like my truck where I drove through one time and I thought, unharmed, got a little dirt on me, but nothing's wrong. We can do it again. The same thing I see happen in a lot of people's lives. Where it's like, hey, I got away with it the first time. Let's do it again. And then I'll do it again. And then you keep trying to dance with the same, it, it's sin at this point. You keep dancing with it thinking you'll be fine. You didn't get caught the first couple of times. And next thing you know, you are stuck in that rut. And you try, I'll get out on my own. I'll just try harder. I'll put it in reverse and I'll put it in drive and I'll, I'll try. And the more and more you try on your own, you dig yourself deeper. Until finally you realize, I need help from somebody else. I need somebody else to come and step into my life. Because last week what we talked about as Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes is writing this journal as he goes through life. And he's doing the experiment of life, trying to find out what's the meaning of everything. 
Where am I going to find purpose? And then last week, he hit on this really beautiful poem talking about what life is. He says, for pretty much every good moment in life, there's going to be a struggle. There's a time to dance. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to laugh. There's a time to weep. There's a time to love. There's a time to make war. He goes on and on saying life is going to have its highs, but life is also going to have its lows. And he kind of is going to be continuing on with that theme of the struggles of life. Because he kind of ended last week, ended chapter 3, talking about where are you going to find your hope. Because he says that he looked, and in the places of justice, he found wickedness. And in the places where people were supposed to lead with righteousness, he saw people leading with evil. And so it really comes down to who are you looking for you're hoping because if it's in the, the leaders, you're going to find that actually they're corrupt. They're actually going to lead for selfish gain. And that's how he opens up our passage this morning. As Solomon continues to talk about life is full of struggles. There are going to be burdens in this life. It's a guarantee. No matter who you are, you could be the most faithful person to God and Jesus guarantees you're going to have struggles. He actually says in the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, the last Beatitude, he says, Blessed are you when people insult you, revile you, and persecute you because of me. Blessed are you when troubles come your way because you bear the name of Christ. And so he's pretty much saying, your faith in me isn't going to lead to a super comfortable life necessarily. But actually... It's going to lead to an uncomfortable life that might come with struggles. But also, we just live in a fallen world. We ourselves are fallen people, so it's not always somebody else bringing struggles on us. A lot of times, it is myself that does dumb things, and then I pay consequences for my bad decisions. A lot of times, it's because Adam and Eve, a long, long time ago, decided to eat the fruit, and if they didn't, I'm sure somebody else would have. And from that moment on, there has been a curse on the world. And so we see things like tornadoes happening in Little Rock, Arkansas. We see things like hurricanes and wildfires and floods and all of it is just going to keep on building, Jesus says, until he returns. But he's going to come and make all things new. And so we see that we experience struggles in this life. And then Solomon's going to tell us that really what we're going to try and do whenever we face struggles, it's the human nature pretty much is isolate. And he says, actually, there's a burden to isolation. That, that your natural instinct to just go and nobody needs to know about this. I'll just handle it myself. He says, woe to you. And then he's gonna wrap things up this morning by telling us that there is strength in community. But not just any community. Yeah, there's strength in numbers, but there's strength in this community, the body of Christ. And so if you'll join me, we're going to open up in a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into God's word for us. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 this morning. If you have a Bible, feel free to turn there. If you need it on your phone, just don't get on Facebook. Nobody cares at this moment. And if not, we have it on the screens as well. Nobody just cares what I say. You guys are smart, so they'll read it. Father God, we just come before you. And God, we are so grateful Again, that we can just gather together, but God, I pray that this moment be more than just coming and hearing something. God, it be coming and actually being touched by your word. 
and growing from that. And therefore, God, that we grow together to be your body. But God, we need you to guide us in that. So I just pray that you speak through me to our hearts that are open to hear what you have to say. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus, amen. Solomon opens up chapter four and he says, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun and behold the tears of the oppressed and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead, more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been raised, who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is a vanity and a striving after the wind. And so what Solomon is opening up with here is he is just pretty much sharing with us the course of history. He says that he saw this course of history where what powerful people are going to try and do is gain more power for themselves. They're going to oppress the weaker person. I mean, thankfully in America, we kind of have this thing called the Constitution that it, where the government is governed by the people. And so the little guy gets kind of a bigger say. But even that is starting to kind of be perverted and taken out and being used for personal gain. But you go to other countries where you have like dictatorships and you have like anarchists and everything like, maybe not anarchists, I don't know what that word means. Um, but you have... Uh, people in charge, like one person who makes all the shots, that thing, um, then you have these people who they try to kind of gain their own power. It's like, I'm going to make laws that pad my own pockets. I'm going to make it to where my family has everything working out. They rise to power and powerful people seek more power. And Solomon, he's already said that where these people who are leading are supposed to be leading with righteousness and leading with love and leading with the care of their people. Instead, what he sees is not justice, but wickedness, not righteousness, but wickedness. And he's saying, man, it, it, it's terrible. And then he goes on here to say that what I see is those who are oppressed, they have nobody to comfort them. They are there and they're like, who is going to speak up on my behalf? And it's silence. The, the, the powerful get more power, the weak become more oppressed. And sadly, we see this in Solomon's own life, in his own lineage. Because Solomon was a great ruler. He had the golden years of Israel, pretty much. They were at peace. He was the wealthiest man, the most powerful man. And then Solomon ends up dying. And his son, Rehoboam, takes his place. And there's this moment right after Rehoboam becomes king in 1 Kings chapter 12, where all the people come to Rehoboam and they say, how is it that you are going to lead us? He said, your father made our yoke heavy. Therefore, will you lighten our hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us? If you do that, we will serve you. So, Rehoboam, will you lighten the amount of work that we have to do and, and we'll be faithful to you and, and we'll serve you. And instead, Rehoboam, he goes and he talks to the leaders during his father's time in verse eight or verse seven. And they say to him, if you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and you speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. 
Rehoboam, if you lead with the people's interest in mind, they will serve you. Everybody is fine really working for a good boss. I mean, everybody likes to be their own boss, but when you have a boss who really cares about you, an employer that really cares, that makes for a happy workplace. When you have a ruler that really cares about you, really has your interests in mind, that makes for a happy people, and that's what they're saying right now. Rehoboam, you have two choices right now. Lead with love and care for your people, and they'll be faithful to you. But instead, Rehoboam decides to go and seek counsel from people his own age, his own peers. And so in verse 8, it says, He abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him, and he took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him, and they stood before him. And so he said to them, What do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, Lighten the yoke that your father put on us? So the young men who had grown up with him said to him, Thus shall you speak to this people who said to you, Your, your father, <coughs> excuse me, your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus shall you say to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. Weird thing to say. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. What Solomon is saying is that like my, my little finger has more power in it than my father's entire leg. Like I am bringing on the wrath of Rehoboam right now. You are going to fear me. And so he had a choice, love and care, or where there should have been justice, where there should have been righteousness, he decided to seek his own power. And if you're not familiar with the story of Israel, what ends up happening is the people revolt against Rehoboam. And there's this other guy named Jeroboam that like the 10 northern tribes decide we're going to make him king. We're going to have a civil war and we're going to branch off. And they end up doing that. And then you see cycle after cycle of king, especially in Israel, the northern kingdom, seeking their own power, doing evil in the sight of the Lord. So when you trust in leaders of this world, your hope will be disappointed. When you place your trust, if you're like, you know what, maybe regardless of what aisle you stand on, maybe after this next election cycle, things will be better. Maybe for a moment, but eventually they're not going to be. And maybe not for a moment. If you are placing your hope in a person of this world, they are going to let you down. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 tells, or sorry, I'm skipping ahead. Proverbs chapter 13 tells us that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so if you are placing your hope in human beings, every single one of us is sinful. And every single one of us is going to let us down. And so Solomon, he ends up even saying that in a sense, remember, he's thinking under the sun theology, theology aside from God being ruler and God being who God is. And so he says, there, there's actually a part of me that believes those who have already died are better off because they no longer have to live under the oppression. They no longer have to live to see where we're going. This thought has honestly entered into my mind because Solomon goes on to say, and even better than them are those who have never existed because they never had to see it. And, and if you're familiar with Heather and I's story, we have not been able to have our own child. God blessed us with Isaiah. And I, I mean, I don't even know what my own child would be like. I love that kid so much. He probably did me a favor. 
instead of giving these genes to some poor child. But there had been moments in my mind where I see the direction of the world and everything, and I've thought, is God granting me mercy at this moment that I don't have to raise a child in this culture? that I don't have to bring them up and possibly, who knows, I pray that they give their life over to Christ and who knows, are they gonna be in a hostile environment towards Christian? Is God giving me a mercy in that? That kind of crossed my mind and that's kind of what Solomon is saying. That like, wow, those who have never existed to see the wickedness of the world, they are almost more favored or more um, fortunate than everybody else. Because when you place your trust in people, it's going to let you down. But here's the thing that we have to realize, we're all here. We don't fit either of those categories. We are existing at this moment. So we live in this fallen world. We are led by people who will disappoint us, who seek their own advantage and we oppress others and they oppress others. We do too. We seek our own gain. We're not really any better than them. But the question is, we're stuck here in this world that really stinks. We see all this bad stuff happening. We deal with our own struggles. And so then we too are left kind of with two questions, two decisions whenever these opportunities come. Am I going to isolate whenever I face struggles? Am I going to think I can get myself out of this rut or am I going to call for help? And Solomon, he's telling us He's saying there are going to be those people who isolate. We all have that tendency to not seek help from other people. And there are a lot of different reasons that we do this. And some of them we can justify as noble causes. Well, I just don't really wanna burden anybody. I don't really wanna take anybody's time. I don't really wanna stress anybody else out. It's my problem. I don't want anybody else to be hindered by it. Or we think that nobody else can really help us. Like, oh, nobody else in this world understands what I'm going through. And so if I really open up to somebody else, they're not gonna understand it and they'll probably look down on me because they actually see I'm not perfect and that I have struggles and that I actually have things that I'm not proud of. And so if they knew it, they would look down on me. So we don't open up about those. Whatever the reason is, we have this, this mindset, which I'll be honest, I think it's from Satan, to isolate ourselves, to go completely counter to what God has called believers to be and say, you know what, I don't need the church. I don't need everybody else there. I don't need people talking to me. I can handle this on my own. I don't wanna be a burden to anybody else. And so we totally isolate. And Proverbs actually tells us in Proverbs 18 verse one that whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. Because here's another reason that we isolate ourselves. Sometimes we're happy living our life the way we are. Sometimes I enjoy driving through other people's ponds and I don't want somebody to tell me that's a bad decision because I can handle it. I got four wheel drive and I got this other kid that's doing the exact same with me. So we'll get away with it. We'll be fine. Obviously that's a metaphor of I can handle this sin. And if I open up about it, somebody's gonna tell me I have to stop. And Jesus might not have literally meant I need to cut my arm off, but for me to stop this would metaphorically feel like I'm cutting my arm off and throwing it away. It hurt too much and I can't do it. 
And so we isolate. And Solomon said, whoever isolates seeks his own desire. You go against all sound judgment. So for whatever reason, we think we can do it on our own. And Solomon goes on to give these contrasts of people who isolate and think they can do it on their own and people who realize I need help. Verse nine, he says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Notice what Solomon says about the guy who isolates himself. The guy who has fallen, and I don't take this as like, oh, I tripped and fell, but like there's this pit in front of me that is way deeper than I can jump out of, and I have fallen into this pit. How am I gonna get out on my own? And Solomon says, woe to him. Woe to you when you go through life on your own thinking, I don't need anybody else to help me. So I'm gonna hold everybody out further than an arm's distance so that they don't really know the true me. And Solomon says, woe to you, because there's gonna come that time where you are going to get stuck in that rut and you need somebody to tie a chain to you and jerk you out of that hole. Metaphorically, but sometimes it is a literal chain. Hey, let's go. We're getting out of this circumstance. We're getting you out of this situation. We are literally grabbing you and removing you from this and finding help for you. And Solomon says, woe to you if you do not have anybody to help you through that. He opened up in Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse one. And he said, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And he said, there were tears of the oppressed and there was nobody to comfort them. They were all alone. They were facing oppression and they had nobody there to comfort them. And Solomon says, woe to you when you fall in a pit and you have no one to help you up. To think that you can go through life without the body of Christ, without letting people in, is going against what Christ called us to be the body of Christ. Because what God has given us is his community, his people, his body, what we have right here. Fellow believers, fellow sinful believers, but fellow believers seeking after Christ. We have a myriad of histories here. So to think nobody knows what I'm going through, I'm sure somebody in this room knows what you're going through. To think nobody would be able to understand it and if they knew what I really went through, then they would look down on me. If they knew what you really went through, they might do the same. But instead, they want the grace and we give grace. We are called to be the community, the body of Christ and you are called to be, keyword there, be a part of it. Not just attend, but actively be the body of Christ. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, if one member here suffers, all members suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice. And he says, you are the body of Christ. Individually, you're members of it. You make up 
the body of Christ. You see, here's the problem that I see in a lot of churches, and I pray that we don't have here. But if we start this whole isolation thing, it'll become a problem here. This problem of I can be present without actually needing to be a part of something. So you can come and you can sit here and you don't have to actually be connected to fellow believers. I work out. Sure, you can't tell, but I work out. And I, I work out with a couple workout buddies, Dave and JD. I'm the biggest one in the gym. Um, <laughs> definitely not. But there's a thing that you need when you work out. I see this difference because sometimes I'll work out at my house, sometimes I'll go work out with them. When I work out at my house, and I have nobody else there to lift with me, I'll go through three lifts and be like, eh, that was good. My heart rate got up to 100. I think that burned some calories. I'm going to go in and eat a donut. When I work out with them, while they're sitting down doing nothing, I think I got to be the one working out here. And so I push myself harder because there are other people there. Now, I'm joking a lot, but I actually this week took a video of Dave and JD working out because I knew it would be a great example of this. So if you'll watch, I feel like this is what a lot of people in the church do, where you have the guy present, he's spotting, he's doing what he's supposed to be doing until notice the weight, it doesn't move. And what is the guy spotting, the one standing behind doing? He's just watching him get crushed under that weight. I'll let you use your imagination, who's Dave, who's JD. I am going to pay the price for this, I'm sure. But I feel like that's a great picture of the church. It's a terrible picture. It's an accurate picture of what a lot of churches are like, and I pray we never become that. Where it's like, yeah, I got you. I'm present. I, I was standing behind you. Yeah, if that weight comes, I'll watch it. I'll see you struggle. But what actually needs to happen is that weight came crushing down on that dude. That spotter needed to actually reach in and remove the weight from him. Help remove the burden. But so often Christians are like, yeah, I saw you struggling the other day. Just kept on driving. I saw you on Sunday at church. You had an opportunity, but you didn't. So it's on you. You took on too much weight. And I was there. Nothing happened. That's what a lot of Christians fall into the trap of doing because it is hard because in order for that spotter to be able to remove some of the weight, he takes the weight on himself. He's the one bending over and bearing some of the burden, which is a command from God through Paul in Galatians 6.2, where he literally says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. Meaning that we are going to see fellow believers struggle because we live in a fallen world. And we are called not just to be present, sometimes that's all it takes. But a lot of times it requires stepping in, getting dirty with them, dealing with their baggage, and walking alongside them and helping them through that. Not isolating, not just standing there and watching, but putting hands on and walking alongside them through their struggles. We are called as the body of Christ to do that. If you bear the name of Jesus, Paul says you are the body of Christ. And he says you are called to bear one another's burdens. But it's twofold also. 
we have to open up, which is not something fun to do. We have to let people in on our burden. We don't isolate. Instead, we go to the church. I really believe that when difficulties come, instead of running from the church, we should run to the church. That whenever there are struggles, we go to our fellow believers. And I'm not saying that you come all the way up front and say, this week my sins were X, Y, Z, and uh, I need help. I'm saying that what you do is you find a fellow believer that you can trust in, that you know will build you up. I don't need to know all your garbage. You don't need to know all my garbage. But we need people in our lives who know what's going on so that they can bear our burden with us. And sometimes that does mean coming forward. And we have seen it time after time after time where people have come forward and they have said, I need help. And every single time I've seen this church come alongside and pray for them and help them out. You have been so faithful in that. Don't stop. Don't stop doing that. Be the body of Christ. Bear one another's burdens because you know what Paul says there at the end? You fulfill the law of Christ when you do that. You love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And the second commandment is just like it. You love your neighbor as yourself, bearing their burdens. To quote a common statement, there is strength in numbers. And we should not isolate from that. Instead, we should run to one another. Whenever we face struggles, run to your brothers and sisters. But there's one last part that we have to talk about here. And that's the very last part in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12, where Solomon says, Though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. Then there's this part. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So whenever we are bearing the burden of our brothers or sisters, whenever we are going through that, it is not just giving them therapy. There is a third part that's involved in this. And it's, in my opinion, the most important part. Pointing them to Christ. Strengthening them in Christ. We come alongside, we fight alongside one another, and we remind each other the promises and the hope that we have in Christ. And we, bur we, we, we help push each other closer and closer. I believe that is the mission of the church, to go make disciples. So we go find a hurting and broken world. We tell them we have the answer to their pain. His name is Jesus, and there is no other name under heaven in which someone will be saved. And then we bring them in, and then from that moment on, the goal is to push each other closer and closer to Jesus. Every single day, every single moment, we are drawing each other to Jesus because that's what that means. Go and make disciples. A disciple is a follower of a person. We are making disciples of Jesus. We are making people to become more and more like Jesus. Not more and more like me. You all will be messed up. Not more and more like our elders, love them to death. You will also be messed up more and more like Christ. And hopefully I'm pointing you to Christ. And hopefully our elders are pointing you to Christ and your parents and your friends and your neighbors are pointing you to Christ. But the end goal is to be more and more like Christ. 
when we help people out, it is always with an eternal perspective. With a perspective of Jesus is on the throne and we live our lives through that lens. We filter everything through that. He is the center. And when he is the center, we are stronger than ever. No matter what comes our way. You look at the church in the Middle East right now, the biggest persecution among Christians might be over there. It is also the largest and fastest growing church right now because they're holding on to Christ. Before that, it was the church in China where there was a lot of persecution going on and man, they went underground, but they held to Christ more than anything. You look at the first century church where they're being persecuted and people under Nero are being, Christians under Nero are being used as torches to light up his garden. And yet they're saying, we're gonna stand firm in Christ. When the church faces persecution, a lot of times the church actually grows. But if we're just standing by each other and like, oh, good luck with that, it's not going to happen. We hold firm to Christ, keeping him at the center of it all, at the center of it all, and we will be stronger than ever as long as we seek after him. Though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will overcome him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Jesus told us, he promised us in Matthew chapter 16, I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then Jesus told us in, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter seven, when he's talking about the wise man, he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and they beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. But if we try and help people without Christ, if all we do is behavior modification or some worldly therapy and say, think better thoughts, then we, get, we are told by Jesus in Matthew chapter seven, that is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand and the winds came, the floods rose, the rains beat down on it and it collapsed because it was not built on Christ. We are called as the body of Christ to bear one another's burdens, so fulfilling the law of Christ, but in that, we point each other to Jesus through it all. Growing in him and drawing each other closer and closer to him. Don't isolate, run to each other, and ultimately you're running to God. Father God, I thank you for this body of believers. And God, for the history that it has dating back over a hundred years of faithfully serving after you. And God, as we look around and we see everything happening in the world, and God, as we look in our own lives and, and we see struggles and stresses and so many things, and God, a lot of times we just wanna isolate. But God, you tell us to go to each other, to serve and love and lift up and admonish and, and to to help each other. And so God, I just pray that we do that as your body, that we be faithful to you, that we serve one another and we bear each other's burdens. And God, I, I pray that if there be anybody here who is still living with under the sun theology and they see the vanity of it all, help them see the purpose found in Jesus.
God, I just pray that you do the work you're doing. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray this. Amen.